Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about truisms. And the definition of a truism is um, undoubted or self-evident truth, one too obvious to mention. And the reason why we're going to be going over a few truisms is in beekeeping, we have truisms that masquerade, or we have... uh, um, wives tales that masquerade as truisms and uh, unless you start analyzing some of the things that uh, underlie the basis of your knowledge you're not really sure whether or not what you are dealing with is an actual truth or just a way that you've dealt with things so let's start with one of the very first things that (laughs) I'd like to cover. It's ask 10 beekeepers how to do something and you will get 15 answers. Why is this true? Well, I think this is true because a a good beekeeper knows a few ways of doing the same activity. Beekeepers approach beekeeping with the philosophy as you are with, with different philosophies and as you are picking out your mentors or the people you are going to be uh, taking most of your advice from and who you're going to be learning your craft from I would suggest that you ask their philosophy. A good beekeeper is able to function under several different philosophies. Sometimes what really happens on the ground does not reflect your philosophy. Sometimes the bees don't cooperate. Sometimes new beekeepers don't take the advice of their mentors and want to try something new. It's up to the mentor to be able to adjust his advice and help a new beekeeper understand the principle and take care of their bees in a new way or under a new philosophy. There are some things that are just wrong. Flow hives, for example. (laughs) You may ask, what are some of the philosophies so that you can, you know, kind of orient yourself to to what kind of philosophy that you particularly subscribe to? Um, So uh, a more popular philosophy that people are starting to get into nowadays is uh, the natural philosophy. So beekeepers are attempting to find ways to um, accommodate their bees so that they are surrounded by more natural um, environments so um, we we've had a resurgence of uh, beekeepers trying to put bees back into uh, log gums or, or logs that have been manufactured in such a way to be able to be inspected by beekeeping inspectors but still maintain uh, the properties of the log. Under this philosophy they would not necessarily feed their bees in the spring and in the fall sugar water. Uh, they would be looking more for some sort of natural Um, way to feed their bees. Uh, The same goes with pollen. They would be looking to feed back pollen to the bees that they harvested from the year before so that the bees are eating something that is natural for them. 
this also extends to your uh, interactions with the bees such as uh, whether or not you should actually use uh, smoke and uh, and also some of the interventions as far as whether or not you're going to be allowing natural swarms to happen or if you're going to mechanically swarm um, as you learn lean more towards the natural way of beekeeping uh, you do less interventions and you allow the bees just to be bees and uh, and you you deal with the uh, restraints that you have as far as um, the governance as far as inspections and things like that the best as possible um, you know if you get if you become too natural it's to the point where um, uh, you no longer are availing yourself to the regulations that uh, we we exist under and heaven forbid should you be inspected and and you can't actually get into the beehive to allow the inspector to look through for diseases and stuff like that however that is a philosophy of use a philosophy of dealing with the bees um, another philosophy might be uh, kind of like the factory farm philosophy and uh, you're treating your bees as if they were uh, untamed animals that you are farming and so whatever's good for the bottom line of the farm the bees have to put up with so you're you're making the bees be the um, uh, entity that has to uh, regulate itself to fit into the way that you're doing things and um, as a factory farmer you have you treat everything the same you prophylactically treat for diseases you um, if if a bee colony is starting to have problems or it gets past the point of being able to treat it in in the factory format so like you know you get a, a pernicious disease that is in there and it is uh, going to take a little more attention um, as a factory farmer you don't have the time for the attention you have um, many hundreds of hives and all you have time for is just to give them the bare minimum that is required for them to exist so what you might end up doing is you might end up putting a bag around that hive and and burning that hive to the ground um, and and you're very you don't care as much for the bees you care more for your bottom line you care more for the product that's coming out of the hive and the bees um, as livestock are just the the method which with you get to where you are going and uh, it, it is a it is a valid way of beekeeping um, it is usually where we get the bulk of our honey from is from factory farming um, and uh, um, it, it allows you know the farmer to um, deal best with the uh, uh, different uh, changes and things in the environment um, so that would be a philosophy now 
as you know a hobby beekeeper I came from hobby beekeeping roots um, factory farming you know it, it hurts my heart <laughs> I, I look at some of the things that happen and I go oh that bee colony could have been saved had you just you know <laughs> did this that or the other thing and, and waited like a month or two you know but of course they don't have the time they don't have the ability to lose that particular amount of um, uh, effort and, and medicine and heaven forbid should the disease spread and so they have to make some decisions that are kind of harsh um, in other people's opinions so but that's just a way of doing things um, you have the people who um, their philosophy is um, trying everything new so uh, essentially rejecting everything that is old and trying all the new stuff and uh, attempting to make bees uh, fit around the uh, the new stuff and the new technology that you're fitting in so you'll get people with way scales underneath their beehives their computer chips inside the beehives monitoring the um, the hive temperature and humidity uh, the activity within the hive you have uh, infrared scopes that you can look at to make sure that the hive is alive during the winter you have <laughs> all sorts of things like uh, uh, gate monitors that as that count the bees leaving and count the bees coming back you have um, newfangled flow hives that are just wrong no matter what you do um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, they they just bend all the way towards technology, and then and then uh, being able to monitor things and and do things, and you know that again is another valid um, way of doing things. Um, you know, I I'm. I, allergic to flow hives but you know if you're going to be using flow hives uh, all the more power to you <laughs> um, and and uh, again it's it's having the bees um, take up the slack and and mold what they're doing in their lives around your technology and your abilities that you're utilizing to to be a, a beekeeper um, and uh, yeah, so there are, there are different philosophies that people use with beekeeping, and um, and when you get somebody who is uh, versed in utilizing different philosophies, uh, utilizing different methods of uh, keeping bees, different boxes to keep bees in, different different ways of doing things. Um, that's why you end up getting 15 different answers from 10 beekeepers over the same situation. Um, we can all see different ways of dealing with things um, and that's why they they come up with these wonderful new tools. So it, it, it helps you so that you can cover some of the problems that you suffer. So on to truism number two. If a little of something is good then a lot is better. <laughs> now it is true however you end up getting yourself in a lot of trouble with that one 
That's why most of us get into beekeeping. We get uh, one or two hives and then realize that if one is good, then 15 hives is better. <laughs> and this truism will get you into trouble. It is, uh, it is uh, well, let's go into some of the examples. Um, um, if a little bit of pollen substitute is good, then a lot will probably kill the hive. If a little bit of ventilation is good, then the screen board bottom is better. If bee space is the size of uh, one to two bees tall, then a foot of bee space is better. If one box is good, then 15 high bodies are better. See where I'm going with this? It's a truism and it's good and correct sometimes and then most times you can get yourself into trouble if you extend it too far. Your job as a beekeeper is to sort out when good is good enough, when better causes trouble, and honestly, good luck friends. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of the uh, forever experiments that beekeepers have. Truism number three, I can build new and better mousetrap. Uh, I mean beehive. <laughs> um, the bees will live happier and more productive and, and more better, as my daughter would say. <laughs> um, why is this true? Every beekeeper that I know who has a spark of invention in them believes that they can build a better hive for their bees. It is how we understand bees, in fact. Uh, I, for example, have made three or four hives of my own design or copying a design and making it into something completely different and my own. Let me tell you about my mistakes. <laughs> I like to lead with my mistakes as it shows that I am trying to be honest and upfront with you. I uh, thought, well, and, and you know, uh, if you're not willing to admit your mistakes, there's no way that you can correct your mistakes. So, I thought that if I gave the bees a little more space at the bottom of the hive, it would save them from all sorts of disasters and allow them to grow and work as they more naturally would within the confines of the hive. The hive bee space, um, Bee space uh, is is something that was discovered way back when Langstroff was making making his hives, and probably even before. They noticed that if they had a certain amount of space between the sides of the box, between the tops of the box, and the bottom of the box, then the bees wouldn't build more comb, and they would make it so that. Um, yes, there were burr combs and you had to go through and shave them off and everything like that. But essentially the bees could walk around the frames on the top and they could walk around the frames on the bottom. It would allow them to clean up their hive a little bit, but still maintain uh, the environment that they need. So me, I was like, bee space, bee schmish. <laughs> I didn't see I didn't see the reason why more bee space wouldn't be the thing. Um, one of my hives, I ended up putting probably about six inches on the bottom of the hive, um, and 
my my reasoning behind there is you know there's a lot of things that end up happening at the bottom of the hive that are are um, end up causing some issues uh, like for example in the spring you know you're supposed to uh, change out your boxes you're supposed to empty off the bottom board of all the dead bees and all the wax cappings and things that that came with that but you know you were doing that and uh, so um, what I thought is if I gave them a little bit extra space you know if if they ended up with a little bit of stuff on the bottom oh well you know bees naturally in trees have stuff on the bottom so you know um, if there was a branch or two on the bottom or or some grass or something that had been brought in by whatever then you know that would be able to exist on the bottom and it wouldn't be in the way of the bees well <laughs> Yeah, so um, I tipped my hive. Um, the the amount of uh, tip to it that we're supposed to, and at one time, the front of the hive was the bottom. But uh, in my manipulations, I ended up having to flip the hive around because I, you know, I was I was having uh, difficulties with the bottom board, and I just flipped it around, and and then stacked all the hives back up again. Well, the uh, <laughs> so that made it so that there was a slope downwards. So the next time it rained, uh, the water went down the side of the hive into the bottom of the hive, and literally there was a lake at the bottom of the hive. <laughs> Now, because I had that extra bee space there, if I wouldn't have had that extra bee space there, I would have ended up having uh, a bunch of dead bees because they, they would have gotten wet on the bottom down there and everything like that. But, you know, they were actually up higher than where the liquid lake had filled up and um, it didn't kill the hive and, and I came back and saw what was happening and I rescued them and flipped the, the bottom board around so that it, it emptied out. But, you know, <laughs> I started going, you know, I, I, I said, oh, well, good thing that I had that extra space down there. But every single time that I started uh, um, pulling out a frame after that, I started noticing that they had, you know, several inches of, of extra comb on the bottom. And uh, I'd be pulling out frames and it would peel off because it's a hot day. It would peel off and fall in the bottom of the hive and kill a bunch of bees. And occasionally I ended up killing even, even the queen that was sitting on the bottom because fancy that queens like new wax. They love laying their eggs in the new wax. So of course they're spending all their time on the bottom. And when I lifted it up, I squished my queen. And then I started realizing that that extra space at the bottom really didn't uh, really didn't do any favors. You know, I'm, I'm replacing queens because I squished my queen. I'm having all sorts of issues. Hmm, not good. And I learned about bee space and I learned how important it is to keep bee space in the hive. And I honestly never would have seen how incredibly important bee space is if I hadn't experimented with my hive. Um, and I've created several different other hive types. Uh, I've 
played around with uh, entrances being at the top of the hive, entrances being at the bottom of the hive, um, only having one entrance, only having or, or having an entrance in every single box. Um, <laughs> um, you know, tried a lot of different things. And I found out these designs are, are wonderful, nice and everything. And uh, it, it keeps me occupied as I'm going through trying to figure out that, you know, very special sweet spot. And since beekeeping is local, all beekeeping is local, the, my local conditions are not the conditions that uh, my neighbor 10 miles down the road has. Definitely not the same conditions that somebody in Ottawa has and I'm in Alberta, um, and they're in Ontario, not the same conditions, uh, definitely not the same conditions as somebody in South America has. So, you know, with me trying to figure out what works in my environment, um, it, it sent me on a whole entire path of learning how to uh, do woodwork, yeah, learning how to... Um, fulfill the needs of the bees and finding out what happens if I don't because there are some very definite bad things that happen and some good things that happen as well. There is nothing new under the sun as far as designs. Um, beekeepers have been keeping bees for a very long time. Um, technology throws some new twists into it and allows us to manipulate the bees in different ways. But when it all comes down to it, you know, bee space is bee space. Good design is uh, good design. And when we start looking at designing stuff, I like to think of the acronym CRAP, C-R-A-P. Contrast, repetition, alignment, and proximity. So those are some of the things that we, we throw in there and we start applying and you know <laughs> it's fun stuff it keeps me occupied and I'm very sure that uh, you as a beekeeper have uh, already started to make your own better more better mousetrap. <laughs> Truism number four Brother Adam is the greatest beekeeper in the world. He has called he has been called the Pope of Beekeepers in an outstanding documentary produced by York Films, The Monk and the Honeybee. Why is this true? Besides the fact that my uh my podcast show was named after it, um I would have to say that this is one of those kind of truisms that reflects the saying that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Brother Adam and many of his uh, uh, contemporary um, discoverers did a lot of things while he was beekeeping and we have literally walked past his knowledge and forgot about a lot of the stuff that he has done and that his contemporaries have done and that the people during his time have discovered. And 
we're just starting to come back to it and say, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> what we thought was newest and greatest was um, probably not the best. And as we start going back to the stuff that he discovered and the stuff that is his cohorts discovered, uh, we're starting to figure out that they did know a lot of things and they did understand a lot of stuff about bees. Um, the most notable about Brother Adam that he discovered that we have just gotten to the point of going, oh, is the whole entire idea behind and necessity behind nucleus hives. Uh, Brother Adam understood that in order to increase the number of hives, a beekeeper has to run nucleus hives as a tool of increase. The other thing is that he knew is not to dispose of a failing queen. You retire her to her own little retirement home called a retirement nuke. That way, should you need a queen, when you lose a queen, you can go to the retirement nuke and bring back an aging queen. The queen can also produce more bees for your colony, more products that you can switch out to other colonies, even if it's at a smaller rate or amount. We have forgotten these truths, and we've tried to manipulate the bee using different philosophies, but what is old is new. In Canada, we are finding that the only way that we are going to overcome colony collapse and all the other problems that are facing our bees is to utilize the tool of nukes. One of the very big examples happened this year during the COVID crisis. They shut down airlines transporting bees and so literally we couldn't get our bees from with bikinis from down under and so we ended up having to turn to beekeepers here in Canada and of course the US border to Canada is closed to bees we can't get we can't get bees in nukes we can't get anything from the United States it is where we used to get all of our bees but those people who are in charge of the regulations here in Canada and in Alberta, um, since they, you know, from their armchairs, uh, know what's best for beekeeping. And, you know, I don't, I don't besmirch Mr. Um, I think his, his name for Alberta is Mr. Nasser. Uh, yeah, anyways, I don't besmirch him. I'm very sure that he has a degree in beekeeping and, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he knows a lot of stuff about stuff. Um, however, the problem is, um, to all those leaders up there who are listening, um, what about me? I'm a, I'm a beekeeper and I had... 100% uh, loss last year due to a lot of different conditions. 100% loss. So that means that I have to come up with a whole hell of a lot of money in order to replace my losses. And where do I get the bees from? I was scrambling just to be able to get some bees going this year. Scrambling. In the beginning of uh, Alberta beekeeping, uh, literally Albertans 
used to kill off their bees in the fall and then buy new bees from the states every spring. And it was so inexpensive that that was actually the best way of doing things. Or instead of killing, what they would do is just harvest all the honey, you know, and and drop all the the products from the hive and then just allow the bees to swarm out and do whatever they're going to do because they're not going to live on their own type of thing they were having trouble keeping them alive so um and we used to be able to get bees for super inexpensive prices from the united states because it's a matter of jumping in your vehicle driving down picking them up and bringing them across so now that we've reached this uh, emergency level of bees, like there, there's no bees to be had. Um, I, I've had people contacting me because one of, one of my business models was um, that I would uh, be making nukes and splitting things off and I would have, you know, uh, 50 to 100 uh, nukes that I would be able to sell to my uh, uh, the people in my area and that I would be able to start providing those things. Well, if I had 100% loss, the only way that I'm going to be able to provide for other people is if I import it and then I tell the other people, okay, we're going to set back our date. I do some splits. I order in some queens and the queens start working, doing their stuff. We get uh, viable nukes for them and then I hand them out in the beginning of of uh, uh, June, right? That's the only way that it's going to happen with 100% loss. Well, our wonderful leaders up in, in uh, Edmonton are sitting behind their freaking desks still collecting a damn paycheck and how the hell am I supposed to make my beekeeping business work? I can't. And do I really care whether or not a hive beetle comes across the freaking border? Nah. Now, because I can handle hive beetles and hive beetles up here in, in Canada, they don't last long because um, they, they can't reproduce because uh, they, part of the cycle of hive beetles happens outside of the hives. And with our minus 40 weather, guess what? It ain't going to be happening. So we have hive beetles if we were to get them for one season and that would be it. So do I really care? about the fact that, that that might be coming through the border? Do I really care that the genetics from the United States are being stopped, that, that their little angry bee that they have down in the States, might their genetics might start coming up here to Canada? No, I don't care. I don't care. I want bees and I want to be able to afford them. And uh, some armchair degreed person up in Edmonton has decided that, well, too bad your business is going under <laughs> because of the decisions and, and the regulations and things that they put on. So, <laughs> yeah, that truism became a rant, didn't it? <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> um, so we found from, from going back to some of the, uh, roots of our beekeeping that these uh, uh, greats in our history had some ideas on how to handle issues and uh, nukes are, are one of those things. We're just, in, in Canada, we are just not going to be able to handle, if things keep going the way that they're going, we are just not going to be able to handle importing all of our bees like we have been from New Zealand and Australia and other places. Uh, we're just not going to be able to, and it's not sustainable. 
nukes are sustainable. So, you know, and uh, it takes a lot for a beekeeper to get up and running and be able to uh, have, you know, um, I like to say like a hundred hives in reserve. And those are the hives that you are pulling products from. Those are the hives that you're making splits from to make nukes to sell. And you can't go below a hundred. So you end up having, you know, three or four hundred nukes or three or four hundred hives and then every spring from those three or four hundred hives whatever pulls through you split up but you keep a reserve of a hundred hives um, to help you make the next year type of thing and um, so the other the other hundred 200 300 hives you split those up make all your nukes and then sell off your nukes and then utilize the money to feed your bees to run your processes to to keep your business going so um i i really see that that some of the knowledge that we used to have is coming back into vogue because of the difficulties that are being placed upon us both um you know the unintentional difficulties because of uh uh cessation of world travel as well as um, some of the uh, harmful um, punitive rules that we've inherited from those armchair quarterbacks up there who know better than than your local beekeeper so yeah let's go back and and uh, read some of these older books you know go back and and watch the specials about brother adam and and read the the histories and things that that come from uh, brother adam his contemporaries and, and and associates truism number five holy cow that just got that just went <laughs> sideways anyways truism number five um, Mark Twain is credited with saying the coldest winter he ever experienced was a summer in San Francisco. <laughs> is this true? Our great province of Alberta can have snow in July, and we have this year. We, we had snow in, in June, and, and we had all sorts of ice, ice storm, and oh my gosh, hail, it was just horrible. Uh, this is not good for beekeeping because you lose colonies, you lose flowers, you lose crops, you lose honey, uh, you lose, you lose, you lose. I believe a beekeeper is a gambler at heart and we take risks every time we do anything. Any manipulation that we do with a hive is a risk. Anytime we split uh, a hot hive, anytime we requeen, anytime we retire a queen, anytime we don't feed, anytime we do feed, anytime we place a bunch of hives on a new property, we could lose or we could win big. So the coldest winter you've ever experienced may be in July. But I'm here to tell you there are more Julys that are warm and hot the whole entire July. And the middle of a flow you can't believe or I'm in the middle of the flow right now that you can't believe. Truism number six. Good queens are, of course, um, got some Latin, uh, sine qua nan, sine qua non. Definition, an indisputable or indispensable condition, element or factor something essential so good queens are essential is this true 
Not necessarily. In the world of beekeeping right now, there is a trend to go towards purebred bee, uh, a trend to go towards uh, purchased queens. Um, the hopes are that if you have a purebred bee, you are going to get back to that which was before, and maybe the bees will turn out better in their small evolutions that they make and have a better chance against the mites and the small hive beetles and the trachea mites and the funguses and the bacteria and everything else. Some beekeepers believe that they can maintain a purebred bee in a sea of mutt bees. I heard a sales pitch yesterday that a certain bee company was doing genetic tests to assure you that their bee is genetically pure and mite resistant. The same company would sell you an artificially inseminated bee. Bees don't play the same games that we do. Queen bees have an unnatural drive to go and get mated, even though they have been artificially inseminated. A lot of queen bees will go out and remate. After they've been inseminated, they'll, they'll go out and remate with uh, males that are in the area. Sometimes workers will decide to artificially, or, or decide to end your artificially inseminated queen. <laughs> um, and they will raise a queen from their own progenity, our progenity. Um, they, will, they will choose uh, uh, the genetics and, and the queen that they want. So they'll, they'll go through and start pulling out stuff that they don't want from the gene pool. Um, this new queen will be mated with mutts around the hive and or around the uh, bee congregation area and a lot of people consider the queen bee to have the same traits and rules as the queen of a country would have um, expecting her to be the top of the pyramid and we all know that that's just not the case my philosophy is that the queen bee is no more important than the worker bees and the drones that and the brood and that the insect cost of uh, $300 a queen which has been artificially inseminated in my view and especially at my level of beekeeping is not worth it. I think it's better to have a mutt who is genetically diverse with strong pheromones, lays good eggs on his way to being more mite resistant or bacterial resistant etc. I feel that queens serve at the leisure of the workers and since there is a whole lot of stuff going on below the area that we can sense, um, they know when she doesn't smell right, they know when she's not laying correct, they, they know when she should be replaced. In my philosophy, you trust the bees to do what's best for the bees. So that reaches the end of the truisms and hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully the rant in the middle of this thing doesn't get me into too much trouble. But oh my gosh, you know, it's just gotten to the point where people are so frustrated with what's going on and uh, not being in control of what's going on, not being able to afford to recover. Yeah, unfortunately, I think in, in our industry, we're going to lose a lot of beekeepers in the next little bit. Um, there's, there's a big, huge uh, push for people to start um, becoming more independent. You know, uh, 
people are looking to beekeeping in hopes that they can uh, supplement their income, in hopes that they can supplement their food, uh, their personal food choices. Um, it's it's the best of times and the worst of times out there right now. And uh, unfortunately, our governments don't really understand that um, during the worst of times, uh, you're not doubling down on some of the rules and regulations. You need to actually get rid of the red tape, get rid of the majority of stuff. Um, and uh, you... If you're the government and there's a lack of money coming into the coffers, you're not going to have the ability to employ as many people, employ the inspectors. You know, it, it would be best just to return some of the power back to the beekeepers and allow them to make their choices and allow them to um, succeed or or not according to their you know their intelligence their work ethic and and uh the uh vagarities of nature you know i mean <laughs> adding the government in as another level of uh loss is is during this time is not really the greatest anyways i wish you guys well and and we're probably going to be going on to the next uh the next uh chapter of our beekeeping production technician course so hopefully we'll see you soon if you guys have any comments that you guys want to share you can reach me at fat honey ranch all small letters dot at gmail.com and uh also um i'd love to hear if you have uh any suggestions if you have any uh requests for uh stuff that we can cover um and uh, to those of you who are listening, uh, please go back and give me a five-star rating. Uh, it helps the algorithms suggest this to other people who are looking for beekeeping stuff. Uh, hopefully we can get our beekeeping community a little bit bigger and uh, be able to share some of the ideas and, and uh, technology and um, skills that we have and uh, by doing that and giving me a like and maybe a five-star rating if, I, if you think I deserve it, um, it really helps out the algorithms, helps people get into uh, communication one with another. So thank you, and we'll chat with you all later.